Anybody ever been to Colorado? I don't know why, I just, I just thought of uh, Dumb and Dumber. Aspen? Um, oh man, this is going bad so far. Uh, I, when I was a kid, my parents would, would take us to Colorado. It was their favorite place to go. They had been going there uh, even before we were even born. And I remember one trip specifically that we were going to this mountain, Mount Elbert. Uh, that's the highest mountain in Colorado. And my parents, they were excited to lead my brother and me to the top of that mountain. We were excited as well. Um, so I remember we, we started to hike up the trail. We eventually, the first day we got to the tree line, we camped there. Weather was not the best. We were cold and wet. Um, but, so we made a fire. We, we camped out there. Water got into the tent. We were pretty miserable all night long. So we woke up early the next day and we were like, let's get to the top so we can get to the bottom and go home. So we, early that morning, we start heading up the trail towards the summit of the mountain. Eventually, though, we, we found ourselves just surrounded by fog. It was just thick. We could barely see what was coming in front of us, stuff like that. I remember having to hold on to my dad's backpack as he led me through the, the mist and the haziness. He explained to me that we were most likely in a cloud, which terrified me and amazed me all at the same time. Um, uh, eventually though it started to rain, the weather continued to get worse and worse. And so we had to take shelter under a rock. There's just giant rock that was kind of next to the trail. So we all got under that rock and we huddled together and in <laughs> under that rock in the darkness, I, I kept thinking, how long are we going to have to be here? When will we be able to leave? When can we get out? Eventually the rain dies down. My parents had to make the decision of, of not continuing up the mountain. We had to turn back because the weather was just too bad. The fog, it, it was just too thick. And it makes me think about a, a fog that sometimes we experience in life as we're trying to climb this mountain of life, right? Sometimes we experience a fog that distorts our vision makes us feel like we're lost, like we don't know what is coming next. The fog of pain, the, the fog of hardship, pain and regret, the fog of past mistakes that just tend to linger, a fog that is distorting our view, a fog that's making us feel hopeless and helpless, a fog that makes us feel stuck, like we're going to stay in this darkness for so long hiding under a rock, feeling as though we're going to be stuck there for a while, our, our hearts and our minds clouded as a result of that fog. Have you experienced that fog as you're traveling through this life up the mountain? What did your fog look like? Was it a painful divorce? Is it the fog of financial hardship, the, the fog of, a, of loss of employment, the fog of a medical condition? Whatever our fog looks like in life, here's one thing I know for certain. Even in the midst of that fog, even in the midst of the pain and the regret and the hardship, there is hope. There is a light in the midst of that fog that is trying to lead us out of that mess. I've experienced that hope. I've experienced that light. And all of us right now, we are in the right place, the perfect place to fight off the fog of this life. 
Whether you've been coming to this church for a long time like me or, or, or you've been coming for a short time, there's something about this place, something special. Thankfully, I'm not the only one who thinks so. My, my friend Sean thinks so as well. Let's, let's watch this video. We are thankful for Sean and her husband or their daughter, Hannah, right? I got it right? Oh, hallelujah. Um, but we are so thankful that God brought them to our church. And maybe you had an experience just like Sean, that in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, of hurting because of unforeseen circumstances in life, that there was something urging you Something making you feel like you just had to come to church. Something telling you that you would find refuge, that you would find healing here. I'm sure as Sean went through that difficult time in her life, she had people praying for her. People constantly bringing her before God. People pleading on her behalf that God's mercy would flow into her life. The very first prayer recorded in the Bible, we find it in Genesis chapter 18. Prayers were probably spoken before that, but this was the first one that was written down. And God, he is, he is putting something on a man named Abraham's heart. He's letting Abraham know something. He's letting Abraham know that there's these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's just evil. There's wickedness in those cities. And that the outcries against those cities, there's just so much that something has to be done, that these, these cities, they have to be destroyed, that justice and punishment have to be served. But it's almost as if God, he is laying all of this stuff on Abraham's heart to see how Abraham will respond. And with this, this knowledge, with this weight weighing on Abraham's heart, he begins to approach God. The Bible says that Abraham, he draws near to God. He leans in close and he prays for mercy. He pleads with God to have mercy on those cities and their inhabitants. Abraham, he begins to negotiate with God. Abraham says to God, God, if, if there are 50 people, 50 good people in that city, 50 people who are turning to you, seeking a, a right relationship with you, if there are 50 of those people, will you spare the entire city and all the inhabitants? God says, yes. God says, okay. If there are 50 people who turn to me, I will spare that city. And the Bible continues like this. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust in ashes. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? God responds, if I find 45 there, God said, I will not destroy it. Abraham, he's offering this selfless and humble prayer on behalf of of these people. God's, he's, God, he is listing this discourse. It continues. And Abraham, he starts to lower and lower and lower the number. He's thinking, if God is saying, yes, I'm going to keep going down. Uh, what about 40 people, God? What about 30 people? What about 20 people, God? What about 10 people? If there are 10 people who turn to you, 10 people who seek a right standing relationship with you, will you spare the entire city? God, he responds, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And what I love about this text is Abraham is praying to God. Abraham is beginning to see the heart of God. 
that God doesn't want to destroy anyone. God wants everyone to turn to him, to find refuge in him. And as Abraham begins to realize this, Abraham's heart, it is shifting. His heart begins to align and mirror the heart of God, allowing Abraham to see God so much more clearly, allowing Abraham's heart to break for what breaks God's heart, allowing Abraham to be reassured that he is serving a good and just God. That's God's desire for us as well, that our hearts would be aligned with his, that our hearts would break for what breaks his heart, that we would draw near to him and we would plead for mercy for the hurting and the lonely, people who are feeling lost in the fog of life, people feeling like they they have no idea where to turn to, no idea where to seek help. The other day, um, I was taking my boys to school We usually bring JJ, my littlest one, he's a two-year-old. He goes to daycare here at the church. We bring him first usually. So we were were traveling to the church, but it was foggy on that morning. I don't know if you remember just a couple weeks back. Fog was everywhere. My wife, she works in Madison. I, I called my wife to make sure she got there safe. She's like, I didn't see any fog. There was no fog for me. So I was like, okay, I'll take some pictures. It's pretty cool. Um... So I start taking pictures. We, we get to the entrance of the church parking lot. I stop the car. I lean out my window and I take a picture of the fog in front of the church building. My son, David, he says, it looks like a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> like that's my boy. Um, but I, I, I took that picture thinking hey, it's no big deal. It's just going to be a picture I show my wife. Maybe she'll think it's cool. But I, I kept thinking about it. I kept going back and looking at it. Uh, I want to show, show you one picture first. This is how our church usually looks on a morning when you pull into that entrance. Beautiful fall morning. And then here's the foggy morning picture. Isn't that crazy? It's like the church disappeared. It's like it's not even there. Now, I kept going back and looking at that picture, reflecting on it, until eventually I started to think, how many people drive past our church every single day? How many of those people are, are dealing with something that is causing them pain, causing them to feel like they have no hope, that they are lost in fog, stuck in the darkness under a rock, feeling, people living in the fallout of shame and regret, people hurting and feeling alone? It made me wonder, do they drive past our church? And even on the clearest day, all they see is this. They don't even see a building. They don't even see a location, just fog. They don't see the hope and the joy that they have here. They don't see an answer to the pain and the difficulty that they are dealing with. They don't, they don't know the arms of a loving heavenly father that are wide open to them, wanting to lead them to safety and embrace them with mercy an escape from the shame and the regret an invitation to a new life, an invitation to purpose and acceptance. And God, he, he desires for us to work alongside him, to draw close to him so that we can see his heart so much more clear and so that our hearts can align with his allowing us to be a part of his good works in the lives of these people that are far from him, that drive past our church and they don't see anything at all. But, but as we work with God, as, as we try to reach these people who are far from him, what can we offer them? Free coffee, good music, good things, right? 
But is that enough? What can we as a church offer to shine a light to help those who are in the fog, who are far from God? And as we carry that light throughout the fallout, as we carry the light into the midst of pain and hardship, what exactly are we trying to illuminate so people see more clearly? In the book of Mark, we find a man who is definitely experienced hardship in life, definitely experienced the fog of life. A, a man who, who probably lived most of his life hurting and feeling alone. This man was was paralyzed. We don't know much about his condition, but what we do know is, is he was confined to a mat. He would lay on that mat all day, all night. So he wasn't just laying on the mat, but he was living on that mat. This was his entire existence. This is where circumstances in life had brought him. Can you imagine him as as he falls asleep each night, lying on that mat, living on that mat, feeling lost in the darkness. Is this all that I have for the rest of my life? Just this mat laying here hopeless? Truthfully, I'm sure we have all been there before. In the haze of fog, confined in the darkness of our own difficult situation, living on our own mats in life, feeling stuck in the circumstance. We're wanting things to get better, but we just don't know how they could ever get better. Where could we even go? I've been there before. Maybe you've been there too. Thankfully, I had people in my life to help me. Thankfully, I had people in my life to pray for me, who cared for me, who surrounded me. We don't know much about this man's life, but what we do know is that he had people in his life that cared for him. He had friends, friends that loved him. Friends that wanted him to have hope and a future beyond this mat that he was confined to. And one day those friends, they came bursting into the paralyzed man's room. And as the man lays on the mat, uh, the friends come in and they say, hey, hey, there's a, there's a man in town. He, he just came here. He, he's staying at a home nearby. This man, he is said to help and heal people. Maybe this man, maybe he could help you. Imagine the, the paralyzed man as he listens to his friends try to breathe hope into his life. Maybe the man replies with doubt. Have you seen the condition that I'm in? This is all I've ever known. How could I ever possibly get better? And even if this man that you speak of could help me, how could I ever even get to him? This man, he, he's lost in the fog, struggling to see a path out. Maybe he begins to see a, a faint light in the distance through the mist, but how could I ever reach that light with the condition, the way I am living? How could I ever even approach that light? And in my mind, maybe the friends, they listen to their friend as he pours out his doubts. And as he expresses their, his concerns, I'm, I'm certain that they were filled with compassion. I'm certain that their hearts began to shift and align with the heart of God. I'm certain that their hearts began to break for what broke, breaks God's heart. Maybe they take a moment, but maybe they know exactly what they're going to do next. But all at once, they drop to their knees and each of them grab a piece of the paralyzed man's mat and they lift and they begin to carry that man 
They begin to carry him through the, the fog, through the haze of hopelessness and pain. They carry their, their friend as they look for a man, a man who is said to be the son of God, a man named Jesus. The four friends carry their friend through the streets searching for the home that Jesus was in. And eventually they see the home. Maybe they, they set their friend down. They kind of stare at the home and, and try to decide what, the, they, what they do next because this home, it is packed with people. There are people just pouring out the front door, all crowded around it. Here's what the Bible says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So Jesus, he's staying in this home, most likely the home of Peter, one of his disciples. People hear that Jesus is there and they start one by one coming to see Jesus, to hear Jesus until eventually the whole room is filled. The whole house is filled until all of these people are just pouring out the front door. The four men, they, they kind of analyze the situation. What do we do next? Maybe they could hear the voice of Jesus coming from inside. Jesus is there. Jesus is in that room. We got to get our friend to him. But can you imagine the man on the mat, maybe telling his friends at this point, I told you guys, I told you so. It's hopeless. You can't get me to him. Look, look at all those people. And there's no way we are ever going to get through that crowd. The man still feeling the effects of the fog, still wondering how in his condition he could ever make it into the presence of Jesus. And truthfully, I'm sure there are people that feel that same way today, living on their own mat, wondering how things could ever possibly get better. Maybe even thinking, hey, this Jesus guy, he sounds great, but it doesn't seem like he would be an option for me. How would he even receive me with the condition that I'm in? Don't you know the things that I've been through in life? Don't you know the things that I have done in life? Don't you know the pain I have experienced? Why would Jesus want me? Maybe the man on the mat tells his friends, just take me home. It's hopeless. The, the, the doubt, it just keeps coming out. But the friends, they are not giving up. They, they continue to look at that home, continue to fight, figure out what to do next. And maybe one of them notices a staircase on the side of the home. Most rooftops during that time, um, they were utilized for different things, preparing food, uh, hanging laundry, doing other things. So all of them usually would have some form of access to get to the roof. And so they look and they, they, see the, they see the staircase on the side of the house all at once again. They bend down, they pick up the mat of their friend and they start to go up that staircase. Here's what the Bible says. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. They get to the roof. Maybe one of them puts their ear to the ground. They hear Jesus' voice. Jesus is right here. They begin to remove the stone tiles. Back then, roofs would have had 
uh, different layers. Uh, on the top, it would be stone tiles. Beneath that, clay or, or earth or sod, mud-like substances for uh, insulation, stuff like that. So it wasn't like there was boards that they were having to saw through or anything like that. They removed the tiles, and then they just start to dig, removing all of that debris, removing whatever they had to to create a hole big enough to get their friend to Jesus. But can you imagine Jesus as all this starts to happen? He's in that room, he's speaking, he's teaching the word, and all of a sudden the roof starts to fall on his head. Imagine Peter as he looks up and sees this hole being created in his ceiling. Oh, my wife is not going to be happy about this. <laughs> Truthfully, I don't think anyone was upset about the roof. That was something that could be easily fixed. Because as that man, as the man who had been living on that mat, the paralyzed man, as he is lowered through that hole in the roof, as he is lowered into the presence of Jesus, the Bible says this, Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith collectively. He saw what they were doing, what they, how they were doing it, and why they were doing it. He, he saw who they were doing it for. Their faith collectively working together to bring their friend to Jesus. And imagine the, the paralyzed man as he is lying on that mat, as, as he is lowered down into the presence of Jesus, as his eyes lock with Jesus. No longer is he filled with doubt, but as he looks into the eyes of Jesus, instead he is filled with certainty that he is exactly where he needs to be in the presence of Jesus. He was being ushered out of the fog and into the presence of peace. And then Jesus says this, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus says this, there's a group of people in that room and they gasp. They begin to whisper to one another, these, these Pharisees, these teachers of law, uh, they, they begin to say this, who can forgive sins? Only God can do that. Jesus, he knows what they're saying, so he responds, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus, he was not only interested in healing physical ailments, not only interested in healing what is easily and obviously seen, Jesus... He was interested in healing the soul, the unseen, something that God could only see. And here, Jesus, he is displaying his authority and he is displaying the fact that he is God in human flesh. Jesus, he knows the paralyzing effect of sin, that the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins, that is the most important miracle to ever be performed because that miracle, it heals the soul. That miracle, it allows us to have a right standing relationship with God. And here's what happens next. So Jesus said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The man, he picks up his mat. He begins to walk out of the room. He's having to push his way through the crowd, right? Imagine as he makes his way out the front door, maybe dancing now, maybe, maybe jumping up and down. Imagine his friends as they meet him. The hope and the joy that all collectively that is filling them at that point. I imagine that man, though, 
as he clutches this mat that he had lived on for so long. I'm sure he looks at the mat and, and he feels thankful that he can walk, right? But I'm sure that there is something deep down in his soul that is even more thankful that his greatest need was met, the forgiveness of his sins. You see, everyone's greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins. No matter what our mats look like in life, no matter what is causing us to feel lost in the fog, our greatest need is a right standing relationship with God. Our greatest need is his grace and his forgiveness. And that's something we forget sometimes because sometimes we want God so badly. We want God just to remove the mat. Just take this difficulty out of my life. Just remove the situation. Uh, But as we turn to him, he heals and fixes the most important thing, our soul. He forgives us for everything we have done wrong, gifting us a right relationship with him. You see, sometimes God, he does not remove the difficult situation in our life. He does not remove the mat completely, but be assured he will give us what we need to get up and carry that mat. With the right standing relationship with God, no matter what we are facing in life, we will not lie down on the mat. We will not lie motionless and hopeless But instead, we will get up and we will carry that mat as we endure whatever situation we face through the power and the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ. And through our faith in Jesus, as we carry our own mats, as we we endure our own difficulties in life, God, he will use us to help those who are lost and far from him. Those who are lying motionless and hopeless on their own mats, he will help us or he will help us help them. God will use us to bring them to him. When I was preparing this sermon, um, I was just praying. I was reflecting on the scripture, trying to just understand, God, what, what do you want me to say through this message? What do you want to say through this message? And originally, the, the main text was supposed to be the, the, uh, the Abraham, the Genesis text. So hopefully I don't get fired. Um, But the whole purpose was, you know, uh, the importance and the purpose of praying for our community, pleading with God to have mercy on on those who are far from him, which is great, right? Which is good. And so I was just praying, God, what do you want our people to do? What do you want our church to do for those who are far from you in our community? And as I prayed that prayer, I just felt God placing something on my heart. I felt God saying, bring them to me those who are lost, those who are hopeless, those who feel like they have nowhere else to turn, bring them to me. And as I thought about those words, bring them to me, instantly I I thought of the story of the four friends bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Because there was one thing that was clear to those friends No matter what they had to do, they knew they had to get their friend to Jesus, not just so that he would be healed. Obviously, that was part of their hope. But so that his greatest need would be met and they had no idea that it would go beyond healing physical ailments. But this man who was paralyzed, he not only 
was healed physically, but he was redeemed. His sins were forgiven. His hope was restored. His greatest need was met. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do as a church, to collectively combine our faith together and bring those who are far from him into the presence of Jesus. That's our mission as this church, to know Jesus, to make him known. Our vision is to create, to transform the state line area into a Christ-like community, but it takes all of us working together. And that's the whole purpose of our campaign. Now joining together, unifying, praying together, listening together so that we can follow God's commands and, and do the work together. We all participate and combine our faith to carry out the mission of this church. Imagine if only one of the friends had tried to get their paralyzed, the paralyzed man to Jesus. How much he would have struggled just trying to pull him or, or how putting him on his back maybe, but all of them combined, they exercised their faith and they got their friend to Jesus. Who in your life, who in your life has picked up a corner of your mat? Who in your life has helped you get into the presence of Jesus? Because here's the truth. Someone else's miracle, someone else's healing, someone else's redemption, it may be on the other side of our willingness to pick up their mat, to help them get to Jesus. So as a church, what can we do? What can we do? What can we offer? I believe the first thing we offer, we offer prayer. We cry out to God, just like Abraham was crying out to God. We plead for God to have mercy on those who are far from him. We pray for our friends. We pray for our family. We pray for our community. We pray for our coworkers. We ask God to make our hearts like his, to break our hearts for what breaks his. And as a church, we offer love. We love those who are far from him, we, we offer uh, that love to help them with whatever they are going through. We offer to pick up a corner of their mat. We offer friendship. And as a church, we offer sacrifice. We sacrifice time. We sacrifice energy. We sacrifice financially so that the ministries in this church can be funded to carry out our mission, knowing Jesus and making him known. And as we pray, as we love, as we sacrifice, the cracks in the ceiling, they begin to form. And God's love and God's light, they just begin to pour in. And people who have never experienced God before, they begin to experience the authenticity of his love for them. And our hope is, is, as people wander into this room, wandering out of the fog and into this place, we hope that here they would experience Jesus and as they come eye to eye with Jesus, they would experience God's love for them because God, he loves us so much. He loves us so much that he lowered down his one and only son for us. And Jesus, he lived a life on this earth, lived a life of perfection, healing people, helping people, forgiving people. He lived and died so that our greatest need could be met. And Jesus, he carried a mat that was heavier than anything we would ever carry in our lives. Jesus, he carried the cross. He carried our sins. He carried our pain. He carried our shame. He carried it all for us. And he did it 
so that our sins would be forgiven through his sacrifice. We could receive a right standing relationship with God. And then after Jesus died three days later, by the power of God, he was risen from the dead, conquering the grave, defeating sin, allowing there to be nothing that will ever separate us from God and his love, because there is no ceiling when it comes to God's love for you. There is no limit. There is no stop. All because of Jesus, he continues to lower down his acceptance. He continues to lower down his purpose. He continues to lower down his grace into our lives. He continues to lower down the strength that we need to get up, pick up our mats and carry them until we are home, walking into eternity with him. Three of my grandparents have passed away. Uh, my, My grandpa, Roy, My mom's dad, he had a stroke. He didn't die from the stroke, um, but his, his body, it became weak and frail as a result. So he carried that mat until eventually he, he passed away. Uh, My grandma, Ruth, my mom's mom, uh, she carried the mat of Alzheimer's. She carried that mat until eventually that disease took her life. My papa, my dad's dad, uh, James William Clark, who my son JJ is named after. um, He carried the mat of heart problems. He carried the mat of cancer until that cancer eventually ate him up and took his life. Three different mats, right? Three different life difficulties that they all three had to experience. But all three of my grandparents, they had one thing in common. They loved Jesus with all of their hearts. They lived their life knowing Jesus and they lived their life making Jesus known. So in my mind, as they opened their eyes in heaven, as they were greeted by Jesus in my mind, Jesus, he says to them, drop that mat. You don't need to carry that anymore. And in my mind in heaven, there, there's all these columns just spread out. There are, there's no ceiling, but there's all of these columns just climbing high into the sky columns that are beautiful. And as you approach those columns, as you begin to see them more clearly, you begin to realize that these columns, they are not made of stone. They are not made of marble. They are not made of gold, but they are simply stacks of mats that have been cast aside that no one needs to carry anymore. And heaven, it will be beautiful. It will be incredible because of Jesus. We all have that promise of spending eternity in heaven because of Jesus, because of our ability now to have a right standing relationship with God because of his sacrifice, because of him performing the greatest miracle we could ever receive. We get to be in heaven with those we love and with Jesus, but Jesus, he is the only way to get there. And that's why we are so desperate to help those who are far from God, to help those who are lost, those who don't know him. God's heart breaks for them, so our hearts should break for them as well. The hole in the ceiling, it is there. God's love and his goodness and his light, it is pouring in. And Jesus, he is waiting. So as a church, let's offer what we can 
so that this church can be a light in the darkness, a light leading people out of the fog and into the presence of Jesus. Let's pray, let's love, let's sacrifice for those who are far from him. Let's help them so once they are in the presence of Jesus, they can get up and they can carry their mat until they are home with Jesus. Let's help increase the stacks of mats that are piling up in heaven. And that is our hope for these next two years that we just continue to do whatever God is calling us to do, to bring the lost, to bring people who are feeling hopeless emotionless to him, to the presence of Jesus. Um, If you've come today and maybe you feel like you are just carrying a heavy mat, that, that, that things are, hard to deal with in your life and you'd like prayer today come to the front and we will pray with you we will be down we will be down here to pray with you if you've if you've come today and you want to experience being baptized if you would like to be baptized we'll baptize you today it'll probably be me who would have to do it um, but we'll make it happen but if you'd stand with me now I'd love to pray for you before I step off the stage so let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your grace We thank you for all that you pour into our lives, God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, performing the greatest miracle of all, the forgiveness of our sins, healing our soul so that we could have a right standing relationship with you. And we pray right now that you would use us as you see fit, God. You'd use us inside these walls. You would use us outside of these walls to help those who are far from you, to help those who are, who are feeling lost in the fog. We, we, we just pray that you would use us to shine the light of Jesus, to bring them home and that we would do it until everyone is home with you. Thank you for Jesus, God. Thank you for what you continue to do in this church. Thank you for my church family who I love so dearly. Amen. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.